My Mac Podcast number 214, sponsored by Posimotion and Mac Sales. This week, the top stories of 2008, and Apple pulls out a Macworld Expo. You're listening to the MyMac.com podcast with your host, Tim Robertson. And my name is Tim Robertson. I host the MyMac.com podcast, and we're joined by a stellar and large cast today. We're starting off with Guy Searle in Virginia. Hello, Guy. Hey, Tim. Nice to have you on the podcast this week. You had to miss a, a week there. Yeah, yeah. I was so, I'm, I'm always sorry to miss one because I really enjoy doing this. And, of course, our other co-host, David Cohen from the U.K. Hello, David. Good evening, all. It's, uh, I know you're going to be on the podcast right up until the time we go to Macworld, right? Oh yeah, not not missing any weeks. Nope. I, I hate to dock your pay, man. You know, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Exactly. When those when those checks stop, then the kids go hungry. So there you go. Uh, we were returning with Bill Palmer from last week because obviously, Bill, you're going to be at the MacWorld Expo this year. Yeah. I can't wait to see what Steve Jobs announces this yeah, year. I can't wait either. <laughs> and of course, with the big news. Uh, oh, wait. Bill, Bill's a big expo guy, and uh, we just had to have him on the show with what's going on this week. Uh, I was like, you know, I, I just can't do this show without Bill Palmer being on because i, I got to get your um, opinions, and, and you're also my proof of what I'm going to talk about later, and I, I kind of think you know what that is, uh, my Nostradamus moment. All right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you, I, I, I'd repeat what I told you on iChat, but I'm not sure. You know, this might be a family show. <laughs> uh, uh, a frequent contributor to the podcast, and he's getting a phone call, it sounds like, right now, is John Nemo. Hello, John. Hi. Sorry about that. Just That's, a second. Sure. Uh, Mr. Jobs, I can't talk right now. No, I, I won't <laughs> reveal the plans, I promise. Yes. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to do the keynote for you. No, no, I'm not. Will Tim let me come work for my Mac? Uh, Speaking of uh, somebody else on the podcast, Mark Rudd. Hello, Mark. Hey, hey, everybody. Second week at my Mac, second podcast you've been on. Hey. You're on a roll. Good habit. Yeah. Got it all taken care of there, John? Yes. Sorry about that. Perfect timing, wasn't it? Oh, it's always always like that. At least there's no uh, barking dogs. So So let's jump right into, obviously, this podcast. um, Originally, we had a guest that was going to come on. And I canceled that because I think that what happened this week and all the Apple news that I want to go over, which is a long list, is kind of warrants a a full show in that we're probably not going to take a break. We're going to record from top to bottom, uh, which also means that I'll probably get off a little earlier. Ooh, that didn't sound right, did it? Uh, I'll probably uh, stop recording (laughs) a little earlier. Maybe I can actually get some PS3 time in. That would be nice. Um, but let's jump right into the big story this week. And um, But that being said, the topic this week is the top stories of 2008. This, in my opinion, isn't the top story of the year, but this is definitely the top story this week or even this year uh, almost. So, Guy Searle, what's the big news? Steve Jobs will not be talking or doing the keynote at Macworld, but there's more. What, what's the more, John Nemo? Um, the more is less, <laughs> meaning that this is Apple's last year of participating at the Macworld Expo, period, end of story, end of podcast, 
end of Apple. Change the subject. Everybody go bowling. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, speaking of bowling, we'll, we'll have nice bowling shirts to wear at this, this expo this year. We have beautiful shirts. They arrived yesterday. We have two different styles. And after the expo, we're considering making them available to our listeners and to the participants at MyMac Magazine. It'll be pretty cool. So, Bill Palmer, last Macworld Expo that Apple is going to attend. Is this going to be the last Macworld Expo that Bill Palmer attends because of that? I I doubt it. If there's one in 2010, I'll probably go just because, I mean, I like to go to smaller events like PodCamp. And until there's one that's actually that I go to that's crappy and not worth my time, you know, that's when I'll say, okay, I've gone to my last one. But I don't think this one's going to be crappy, you know, to be, <laughs> be worse. But, it, I mean, the vendors are going to be there. The people are going to be there. So, you know, I think this show will at least be decent. Uh, 2010, who knows? Now, Mark, didn't Apple and or, uh, Macworld Expo, IDG, the parent company, announce that they already have the Macworld Expo plan for 2010? Absolutely. Uh, Paul Kent uh, has, of course, been all over the, the airwaves and uh, media, making sure that everybody understands that just because Apple is not going to be there does not mean that people will not want to come and attend for training and that vendors will not want to come and uh, and participate in showing their wares, so forth and so on. Whether the public will participate um, is another yeah. thing. But um, they're, they're definitely moving forward with 2010. They have no plans to cancel it. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of debate among uh, everyone, media types, so forth and so on, as to whether or not there'll be a demand and whether or not they'll actually make it to 2010. David, do you think there's going to be a Mac World Expo 2011? Um, I, as far as I'm concerned, the shows on life support from now, I think this this year, 2009, will be a good show because people are going to treat it like kind of like the swan song. But I think in the current, um, you know, recession-ridden climate, it's going to be very hard for IDG to attract exhibitors to spend the sort of money they need to go out to San Francisco in 2010. Uh, and if the, if the exhibitors are down and Apple aren't there, um, then obviously that's going to affect exhibitor numbers. And we saw this with the Boston show a few years back. As soon as Apple pulled out, you know, it, it, it limped on for a year or two more before it disappeared. We saw that with the Expo in Paris as well. Apple pulled right. out. They had it one more year. Uh, they had less than 2,500 visitors, and that, that was the end of that show. That's well, right. don't don't you think that possibly maybe changing the venue could help the show keep going? I don't know. What do you think, John Nemo? Do you think if if IDG stopped doing the mega event in San Francisco and they broke it up at the until, Moscone Center or at the yeah, and they broke it up to smaller venues, uh, do you think that would put it back on life support or take it off life support and it keep it alive? Do you think that there's a um, a demand out there for people in Indianapolis or Miami or Boston to have uh, an Apple less Macworld Expo? I think about this all the time, perhaps more than any normal person should think about this topic. And, <laughs> and what I've decided is it needs to be one show to get the focus, to get the money, to get the energy, to get the attention. It needs to be in some really groovy place like San Francisco, and it needs to be a time of year that has nowhere near CES. The juxtaposition with CES is driving me bonkers because I'm dealing every day with two or three dozen different vendors who are coming there and they've got to go nuts deciding whether they're going to be in San Francisco or whether they're in Las Vegas or they're in Timbuktu. This is a very, very severe conflict. So that's my vote. One show, 
one major city, nowhere near the time of CES. What do you think about that, Bill? Do you think that uh, with Apple pulling out of the Macworld Expo and once again next year, in well, not next year, but 2010, the Macworld Expo takes place right around the same time as CES, that the companies, the vendors, are going to say, screw Macworld Expo, we're going to CES. I think the uh, I think the Mac vendors are less likely to jump ship because uh, the average CES user is probably not a Mac or CES attendee is probably not a Mac user. So if you're selling Mac software, you're trying to sell it to a bunch of PC users that aren't even going to come over. I think the iPod and iPhone companies, I think a lot of them will jump ship for CES. John has a good point. This conflict is something that they've just it's never made any sense. It's a terrible time of year to do a consumer trade show to start with after the holiday season, and they both yeah. pick the same terrible week. Um, I heard from one company that I don't know if it was because of Apple or not, but they, they were doing both shows, and now today they say they're not doing Macworld this year. Um, so I think a lot of the iPod and iPhone companies will jump to CES if they're the same week next year. Moving it may not help anyway, but if they put it in, like, September, have it you know have it at a time that companies can introduce new products for the holiday season and then start shipping them right away. Christmas. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, you want to do it just early. Like, Apple always announces the new iPods in September. So that way they can advertise and they can get them into stores and get rid of the old stuff. By the time Thanksgiving comes around, people start buying for the holidays. It's all guns blazing. That's where I would put Macworld. Keep it in San Francisco. The, the tradition is there. The locals like to go there. And the locals will probably still go even if Steve Jobs isn't speaking because they're just wandering around the show floor anyway. Put it in September and um, get somebody really famous to do the keynote. You know, Get, get like David Crosby or some famous Apple user. It's bad. Yeah, yeah. Don't get David Pogue. I, I love David Pogue. David Pogue would probably do a better keynote than Sinbad or David Crosby, but the average user doesn't know who David Pogue is. And, you know, so try to make more. The, the worst thing, the worst mistake IDG made with the Boston thing is that, what do they call it, Creative Pro? They went, we're going to do creatives only. The other 95% of you can stay home. And they did. And they did. Let's make it more mainstream. Make it about the average user. You, you know, that's what I'm sure that's what will happen in 2010. Is they will try and focus the show. That's what happened here in London with the uh, with the um, Mac Expo live show they did down in London Olympia. Apple pulled out of that a couple of years back, and again they tried to focus it into a creative event, and they, and it kind of died on its backside. You know, from other podcasts, I'm hearing. Um, it's really not creative people using the Mac anymore. I mean, they are. Don't get me wrong. They're still using it. But that's not the big market share for Apple. I think that the big market share for Apple, uh, and I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, Mark, is home users at this point. It's it's people like us. It's it's hackers that get into the computers and, and do weird stuff with it and have fun. Uh, I don't think the average PC user is really a hacker anymore. I think those are the mom and pops that just use a computer to play some games and browse the internet, but it's the Mac users that are using proportionally much more software. They're buying a lot more stuff for their machine, and thus they're the ones that you know want to go to these expos. But they're they're not the creative types as far as you know a graphic designer and that sort of thing. Do you agree? No, I, I totally agree. I, I think what's taken place uh, since Apple made the decision, I think brilliantly, to go to the Intel Mac. And has now that and now that the switching is in full force, and there are people are beginning to move to the platform. It's not for just the creative professionals anymore. It's really now the average user who comes over and has only a Windows experience is frustrated, comes over to the platform, begins to kind of poke around within the uh, OS 10 and the accompanying applications, begins to like it, uh, likes the stability, likes the security, 
um, and now becomes interested in more of the, the, the culture that comes along with it, loves a more beautiful machine, doesn't necessarily like the higher price, but is willing to pay that because of what comes along with it. It's a better value overall. And so that's bringing more of a consumer-oriented, a more national base to the, the Apple platform. And so I think that's going to grow over the years, which would kind of open itself up to something like if IDG is smart about it, making this show a lot more mainstream to the average user to come and participate and make it still an environment that they want to come and participate in. I think they could totally do that without Apple there. Now, John Nemo, you're, you are my Mac's um, Macworld Expo uh, grandfather. You've probably been to more expos than anybody else, at least covering it professionally. You've been yeah, this to will, more than I be, have. Yeah, this will be my ninth one, mm-hmm. nine consecutive years. You went in 2000. And David and Weeks started, and I started in 2001. David's missed a couple, so this is probably his sixth or seventh, and it's my ninth. Yep. This will be my fourth, I think. Fourth or fifth, I don't know, whatever. But my question is, uh, playing off what Mark said, making it more consumer-friendly, uh, what does that mean to you, and do you think that that's a possibility? Well, I mean, it's really several shows at once. And for every person who goes to Macworld Expo, that goes to the classes, they're missing something else, the conferences. There's actually five or six or seven different things going on, and it's going to be a huge loss to the independent retailers. What do they call those resellers? Yep. What are those people? It's going to be a huge loss to them because they have all their annual conferences. It's going to be a huge loss to the people who just want to see the, the stuff, and it's going to be a huge loss to the media. There's going to be a gigantic loss. It's like a gigantic black hole that's never going to be filled in exactly the same way. And people say to me, oh, it's like you were talking about the other day on one of the podcasts. Oh, what's the big deal? You can get all the information over the Internet. But I'm telling you, as a member of the media, to be able to meet with the people, to be able to meet with the Deke McClellans, the David Pogues, as well as to meet with all the different people from the different companies, to be able to meet with all the people, the Mark Rudds and the uh, BJs who come from all over the world, to be able to meet personally with all of our pipsqueak colleagues, the David Cohens and the Guy Searles, to be able hey, to, hey, hey, I'm no pipsqueak. <laughs> <laughs> to, be, to be able to meet in person, I'm a very outgoing, well, you never would have thought that, but I'm a very outgoing, people-oriented person. And for me, that's going to leave a huge black hole in my life, my professional life, and also the way that I conduct myself. It's just not the same talking to people, having Skype conferences, and doing Internet. It's not the same as being there and developing the contacts. My Mac uh, we have access to over 500 review, review products in any given year, and at least half of those are, are products where we physically, personally know the companies because we've developed those contacts personally over the years. That is huge. Uh, hey, Bill, do you think that the term Macworld is part of the problem, that Apple isn't just the Mac company anymore? You know, that's a good question. There's so many people who, uh, you know, uh, even like, like just, this is the first example that comes to my head. I hate to talk about my own publication so blatantly, but a lot of people hear about iProng and say it's iPod and iPhone. They say, well, I wouldn't read that. I'm not a Mac user. Like, do you not get that there's a, so even apart from the name, people sign a, still kind of have all the Apple products glued together in their head somehow if, if they're not a Mac user. Even if they have an iPod, they still, you know, they still think the iPod is a Mac or, or something weird like that. So, I'm, I, just, I think it's kind of like like what's coming to extreme Mac, right? They they made Mac stuff, then they now they make iPod stuff. They sold off their Mac stuff. They kept the extreme Mac name because it's a name people know. And I, I think keeping the name MacWorld at this point, for better or worse, is, 
probably better just to keep it because at least for the first couple, if they change it now at the same time Apple's leaving, call it. What else, I don't, what else would you call it that that would be recognizable? You can't call it iPod World or iPhone World. Apple won't allow it. They'll send their their trademark goons after. Uh, I, um, I think that actually that that raises an interest point, interesting point in my mind, Bill. My reading of what's happened here is actually, you know, IDG bears a lot of responsibility for what's happened. I think Apple were probably keen to get away from the show for a variety of reasons that, uh, you know, you discuss quite clearly in your uh, in your blog post about it, about, you know, it's expensive, you know, they, the stock price takes a hit every, every year when they announce things, you know, it's a big investment for them. But I think IDG have actually handled the situation fairly badly for the last few years now. Um, and uh, I suspect that there might be a rift between them and Apple. Uh, and I, you know, it, I, you, I could see a situation going forward where Apple... Let's face it, they've pretty much torpedoed the prospects for the show by the way they've handled this announcement. And who knows, maybe in 2010 they could turn around and say, actually, IDG, we, we don't, we don't, we're not going to give you permission to use the Macworld uh, name this year. You know, I mean, it's their, it's their trademark. They have to provide the permission, don't they? I think so. You know what, though? I'm not sure. Somebody told me, and I, I always mean to go and try and verify this, and I never do. Somebody told me that Apple doesn't have a real trademark on the name Mac. They only have it on Macintosh. Exactly. And that's why Macintosh. they wouldn't be able to take Like Macworld Magazine, they couldn't force them to change their name. And somebody also speculated that that's why they're so paranoid about protecting iPod and iPhone, because they somehow lost the Mac trademark in any real way. See, I, I think that IDG has a very important decision to make. They have a, a brand recognition with Macworld, okay, and and that's something that's known by many customers who come and, and participate in different types of things there, and and if it's handled right, I see. For me, now it has the opportunity to move back towards the user and and the vendors who may still choose to participate, and and, and we don't know that they're all going to pull out. They may have a, a great a, a smaller presence there, and they may reduce that somewhat, but. There could be, in 2010, uh, a great reason to still go and participate there and still have access to those vendors. We'll have to wait and see about that. But if it's played right and if IDG scales things back and makes it open and usable for those same vendors to come in and to show their wares and to have the press come, I mean, think about the opportunity for those vendors to be able to come and still have press like MyMac and many others come and view what they're going to be doing for this next year. And, and Tim, we had a conversation a while back, and it may have been on one of the podcasts, where you talked about wanting to be to see Macworld become more of a press uh, oriented place because a lot of times what happens with all the consumers there that it it can it can make it really difficult to go and take a look at someone's new product and interview them and if they maybe make taking a day out of Macworld for just the press to come in this might be a tremendous opportunity for IDG to do some things just like that it could be John I know that you have to run but any last thoughts and of course you're going to be at the Macworld Expo uh, in just a couple of weeks now, and we'll get you on the podcast quite often while you're there. But any last departing thoughts? Well, I've been following the podcast, you know, as long as it's been on, and I've been following Mac World Expo for a long time. And I think it's really great that we have the opportunity to shoot the breeze about this because there are other people listening and people watching on the stream. And I think it's just important to keep the conversation going. Obviously, yeah. obviously, we can't conduct 
our business if Apple disappears. But if Apple goes away from the expo, good things will happen and my Mac will be there and I'll be there personally involved 110% like I have been from the beginning. Thanks, John. I'll be there. Great. Talk to you soon, everybody. See you, see you in a while. See you, John. See you Take later, care, John. John. Good to talk okay. to you. Now, I don't want to beat the Apple leaving the Macworld Expo to death. And um, on our top list, we've got 16 stories that we think make the top 10 list or the top uh, list <laughs> of Big Sia. But we've got 16 for the top 10. That makes yeah. sense, doesn't it? Uh, we've got 16 items on our top stories of 2008. Um, that is obviously one of them. I would put it at number two, personally. Uh, and I'll tell you what I think number one is in a few minutes. But there's a side component to the whole Apple's pulling out of Macworld Expo. And that's this year that, yes, Apple will be there this year, but Steve Jobs will not be doing the keynote address. What do you think that means, if anything, David Cohen? Uh, I, I, I don't want to read too much into that, to be honest. In, in, I mean, my, my, as I say, my reading the situation is that, is that Steve's pissed off with IDG. Uh, and, um, you know, I think sending Phil Schiller along to deliver the final keynote that Apple ever delivers mm-hmm. to Macworld is just part of his reaction to the situation, situation he finds himself in. I don't, be- I don't believe there's anything more to it than that. I don't believe that, um, there's no, no there, health thing or any of that crap. Uh, no, well, you know, you know what? I'm so, I'm so done with the health thing. You know, the guy, the guy is, he, whether he's healthy, whether he feels on the weather, whether he wakes up with a headache every morning, who cares? The guy's clearly capable of doing his job. You know, Apple's continuing to turn out good product. They continue to turn out good numbers. So, um, you know, I think the health thing is just a, a, mostly a lot of analyst speculation, really. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't give much credence to that at all. I think, I think the the decisions that that Steve Jobs and Apple make about keynote presentations are a bit more focused than just how he's feeling. Um, and, I, and you know, I, I, in my opinion, is that he's just trying to send a message about how he now feels about MacWorld. I don't think it has a bearing on what products they might announce or what um, what things are going to demonstrate. I think uh, he's just trying to say MacWorld's MacWorld's dead to me. Apple doesn't need MacWorld. No. The iPod wasn't uh, announced initially at Macworld, neither was the iMac. I mean, many of Apple's biggest products aren't announced at the Macworld Expo. Apple has their own press conferences three or four times a year, including the WWDC, that they don't need uh, that one big event every year that they're locked into and they have to have something to talk about there. They don't have to do that anymore. But that being said, Bill Palmer, do you think that talking about Steve Jobs' health and why he's not going to be at the Macworld Expo. Do you think that's fair, or do you think that's kind of um, not fair? Do you think that that shouldn't really be a concern to anybody? I can't fault someone for wondering about it out loud. The people that I have a real problem with are the people who state it as a fact, like they know something, and then every time Apple announces anything, they, they say, well, see, that's more proof. You remember that, that, that sure. the great stalker that was after me a few years ago? He'd write just wacky National Enquirer stuff about me, and, uh, That's been more than a few years ago. Now that was like, was like that was like five years ago. But then you know he'd he'd write to me and say, "See what I wrote about you? Do you have a response?" And I wouldn't say anything. And then he'd write and say, "Well, Bill Palmer didn't have a response, so clearly what I said is true." <laughs> and eventually he'd go me into a response, 
And then he'd write something else and say, the fact that I responded means yeah. it's true. If it was a li- so <laughs> how are you these... You can't really win. These- it's, um, yeah. it's a psychological ph- phenomenon known as confirmation bias. Yeah, well, it's also, hey, Mark, have you stopped beating your wife? If you say no, well, then you're still beating your wife. And if you say yes... That means you and beat. Why your, did you ever you, beat? Yeah, why did you beat your yeah. wife in the first place? I mean, but how are these Wall Street no analysts win. any different from the delusional stock? And there's an anal- absolutely, no, and well, these analysis are actually costing Apple money because the stock price takes a dive on this idle speculation that these people that probably know less about Apple than I do, and yet people are buying and, and selling stock according to what this guy's opinion is, and it's not an informed opinion most of the time. That's right, and they all beat their wives. And they all beat their wives. Okay, I, let's. I guess I, ha- I guess I have a little bit different view. Just as wrapping that that topic up, uh, Tim, and that is, I think if you go back to the the new redesign of the MacBook special event, where you notice that Steve surrounded himself with other Apple executives, giving them more of a uh, a, a, like a prominent role, presence. yeah, more yeah. more of a prominent role in the company, and stayed after with them on stage where they answered questions and which is not typical. Steve Jobs staying on totally stage, not, taking yeah, questions, is, is not a typical exactly. thing. And and I would think, um, g- jumping back onto the whole speculation thing, I would think if he was in poor health, that would be the last thing he would want to do. Correct? I, I, is that right. just me or I? If if I was in I, I bad health it, and it's a big news story, I wouldn't be sitting up in front of reporters asking que- or answering questions. I wouldn't be but, on CNBC five minutes later, you know. I think really, if you if you put all those things together and you begin to try and analyze what's going on, um, it, there could be another aspect of this, and that is that you know Steve Jobs, you know he's he's older now and he's looking at other things in his life. His his partner in crime that came up with him, they've kind of done a lot of things parallel with their companies. Bill Gates has stepped down and is not at Oh my active, god, are you saying active. Bill Gates is in in the best of health? Is there something wrong with Bill Gates? <laughs> no, not not making yeah. those connections, but he stepped down as well from his company and you know, I think that there's a good chance that Steve is looking to allow someone else to step up and have a less uh dominant role in the company and is looking beyond a little bit and you know, this could be uh, pointing to that, and it could not. But to me, as I'm thinking about it, it, it fits to me that uh, he's wanting to let someone else begin to step up, you know. Well, sure. And, and with a 40% stake in Disney as well, it's not like he's going to miss any meals. Yeah, no, he's, he's not going to be hurting for any meals, that's for sure. Let's jump into the other 15 items on our list. Um, and I'm not going to put them in any order, except I will say, uh, let's start with what I do think is the biggest story of the year. Uh, and you guys can agree or disagree. Bill Palmer, biggest story of the year. Apple launches the App Store on the iPhone and the iPod Touch. And they open it up to third-party developers. That is uh, the biggest story of the year. Yeah, I have to agree. I wouldn't have agreed at the time. I thought it was big but not huge. I thought Apple made a mistake by rushing it out and putting out the buggy, crappy 2.0. And I, I thought, yeah, you should have waited a year. You should have held off on the apps. But seeing what a huge, just huge thing. I mean, the iPhone is suddenly this huge mainstream platform because of this. And it, um, I, I think maybe it's worth living with all those crashes on 2.0 and 2.1. This is maybe the biggest Apple story since the iPod launched or since OS ten launched. Yeah. yeah but hey, Bill, do you think that, uh, that Apple foresaw how much attention that the App Store was going to get? Or do you think that that you know they kind of knew it all along? Well, I can say personally, I think this took everybody's surprise. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that Apple knew that it was going to be a big deal, um, but I don't think anybody could have foreseen the big deal that it has become. Bill, 
I think the only the only real hint there is that I think when Apple launched the iPhone, they weren't thinking about that at all. But during the first six months or year of the iPhone, even when you had to hack and jailbreak and solder and do all this other crazy, bizarre stuff to get illegitimate apps on your iPhone, there was this huge groundswell of people are out there writing apps and breaking rules and getting in trouble. Just and I think if you looked at that, this huge illegitimate market, that foretold that there would be a much, much larger legitimate market. I think Apple may have looked at that and said, you know, if we turn this around and monetized it, like when they looked at music theft and said, if we turned around and monetized a music download. So I think they may have had a thought probably bigger than anyone, anyone including Apple, really pegged. But I think they did peg it as being big. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that, with that, Bill. I think you've got it absolutely right there. Uh, I think that, that groundswell of, of demand, they, I think they realized they, they developed a device that people so much wanted to do different things with. Uh, and yeah, they applied their, you know, exactly the same model they applied with the iPod, which is to build a complementary software and content platform that really, you know, makes the whole thing, um, you know, a, more than the sum of its parts. And, and, you know, you look at the success of the sales numbers of the iPhone 3G when they when they launched the 3G version, they were far and away above the original iPhone. And I think it's purely because you have now have this synergy between the app platform and the actual hardware itself. I think that obviously the success of the iPhone probably took Apple by surprise, but I do believe that they had uh, plans to do third-party apps on it from the very beginning. And the reason I say that they planned it from the very beginning is look how feature-rich and complete the SDK was when it was released. There's no way they could have released it, and, and it, it'd be that powerful and that easy to use for third-party developers without a lot of planning beforehand. And I think that planning probably started at the same time or shortly after the original iPhone plan started. Do you, do you think so, Mark? Yeah, I, I agree. I think it was always in the back blueprint that eventually they would bring a platform to bear that would enable them to add applications. But always the point was, which you could see as they managed very carefully what applications were placed on that first-gen phone so that it wouldn't be buggy, so that it wouldn't be like everyone else who who brought something to bear and to market that, that was buggy and that, that crashed. So they, they made sure they had the right applications on it to begin with. They worked on the SDK, got it right, got their their payment program right, so that the developers could get their money and and and, and everything could be done in an orderly way. And then they brought it out. Yeah, it's been buggy, but you know what? That it's had the same Apple touch to it that so many else other things have done, where they've been able to actually give the the, the consumer and the developer something that they could use that would work in this platform and not crash all the time. Does anybody think that there's any bigger story as far as the Mac and Apple universe? than the App Store and the third-party apps for the iPhone? The, the uh, deafening on the, silence. On the, oppo- <laughs> on the opposite side of that, I would say the uh, the mobile me botch. The, well, that that would probably be a, a big story, yeah, but I don't think Nothing that that's... I, I don't think that that's uh, um, even in the top ten, to be honest, because I don't think the average Mac user out there uses mobile me. I think it's a very small install base. Yeah, I I I would as as a close as a close story behind that about the App Store and the iPhone 3G. I would actually say the increase in in, in sales of of Macs themselves this year is something that uh, you know all the, Apple has Apple has moved away from being the iPod company now. 
Um, you know, and it's not even just the iPhone company. It is, you know, people are recognizing that Apple computers are, is something that, that people who, who never thought about buying Apple in the past now want to go out and buy. And, you know, the sales of, particularly of the laptops have been through the roof this year. And I think that's a big story because all of a sudden, you know, Apple is, a credible computer competitor to the PC, whereas in the past it was all it was the designer's choice or the the left field choice or you know or the Mac cultist choice, but it wasn't the general consumer choice. And now it is the mom and pop consumer choice. In the last eighteen months, we've seen a steady decline in uh, sales of PCs uh, running Windows. We've seen a huge backlash, even from at the time very stalwart window users against Vista. And at the same time, we're seeing Apple come out with very clever ads, get a Mac. Um, I'm a PC. It's not the highbrow think different ads that they did back in the nineties. Um, and yet Apple's sales have gone up uh, in this year alone. I keep seeing reports from coming out of Apple saying, they sold more units this year than the quarter before, or this quarter was the best they've ever had when it came to selling Macs. Do you think that that's any surprise to anybody, Guy? No, I don't think so. I think um, part part of the the appeal of the, the Get a Mac ads was that it was geared toward the the common person as compared to you know oh you know if Albert Einstein was alive he'd be using a Mac you know and, and, you know the, the kind of artsy fartsy stuff that they did before they're kind of getting down into the weeds going you know look if you're looking for a computer and you're you're kind of tired of having the same problems that you've had on other platforms come give the mac a try and you know learn about all of our problems instead yeah i agree i think the growing sale or the growing popularity of the mac the market share is almost at 10 percent now here in the u.s um i, I want to say nobody could foresee that but i, I kind of did um, I think the writing's been on the wall for a while now, and I'm kind of surprised. You know what, Bill? We didn't get into it all when we were talking about the Macworld Expo thing. My Nostradamus moment, uh, for those who don't know, and I don't know why you would, Bill Palmer and I chat via iChat quite often uh, at night, usually after the kids are in bed and my wife and I are sitting in the kitchen and I'm on the laptop and I'll chat with Bill. And uh, what was it, maybe a week or two ago, Bill, that we were talking about the Macworld Expo? Yeah, and I remember being adamantly uh, disagreeing with what, with what you said. That's kind of the funny part is I yeah. said, no way. And, yeah. yeah the, and, and you would say in five years, I'm like, no way. Yeah, what, like, what Bill's uh, referring to, of course, is uh, in one of our chats, I said, Apple is going to pull out of the Macworld Expo. Uh, within five years, there will be no Macworld Expo. And Bill said, no, that's not going to happen. Apple needs the Expo. Um, and you said something about because Steve Jobs enjoys it so much or something like that. I, I really thought Steve in, enjoyed that stage. You know, um, I think he liked showing up CES. I think he liked the fact that his keynote um, always got so much more press than the keynote that Bill Gates did a, a week later or the day later at, at CES and, and announced basically nothing. I, I just I wonder though, that there's something about Steve Jobs is maybe for the first time in his life running a mainstream company. Like you guys were saying, he, he's running ads that are targeting Joe Sixpack. Now he's never been in this position before. Maybe with the first go round at Apple, I, I I wasn't you know like paying close attention when I was ten or something. I don't know if he could have turned oh, a Mac into a true mainstream product back then. Sorry for whoever I just offended. 
<laughs> but um, this, now we're seeing we're seeing Steve Jobs in in charge of a company that has a, a, a pro, two products that have majority market share: the iPod and iTunes. The iPhone could have majority market share at some point. The Mac is is going higher than than it. it I mean, it, it, maybe 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 Steve doesn't care about that. Maybe he cares less about getting up there and upstaging Bill Gates, and he cares more about getting Joe Sixpack to go buy a. Uh, you know, a, an iPod Nano for 149. It's kind of fun to watch in a way if that's what's really going on. It was also kind I think, of. I think. Go ahead, Bill. Bill, I think you've got to bear in mind that that you know, come 2010, if Steve wants to get that thrill, he can still do that. He can, uh, if if MacWorld is still going, he can still do a keynote on the first day, just do it down in Cupertino rather than in San Francisco, and he'd upstage MacWorld as well as everybody else in just the same way. He still has that open to him. I still think he, he enjoys doing that and, and can do that anytime he wants. This makes it much freer for him to do it whenever it suits him and whenever it suits Apple. And, think, and you know, ahead, he, he also, you know, he also, you've got to remember, he was running Pixar for a long time and, and that was selling a product that was very, very popular and very important to... Well, actually, you know, saying, to say Steve Jobs was running Pixar would be a misnomer. He actually didn't run it. He owned it. But he didn't really run the the day-to-day operations. You should really watch the Pixar documentary that came out just recently, and it really shows the people that were in charge of Pixar. And it really wasn't Steve Jobs. He, he, He supported all the decisions that the leaders of the company were making, and obviously it was because of him that it it became what it became. But Steve Jobs really never ran Pixar. But do you think if they'd have wanted him to make wanted the company to make decisions he didn't agree with, he would have let them do that, or would he have uh, would he have weighed in? I, I I don't think that's I I can't say to be honest, but I think there was a synergy between Steve Jobs and the people who were running Pixar at the time, um, and those are the people that are running Disney now. Um, yeah, I think that right. that synergy was there that Steve Jobs really put a lot of trust in those people, and I think because of that and because of that synergy, and because they were very smart people. That's why you saw so much success, so many good movies coming out of Pixar. You know, Toy Story was such a huge hit. They could have made five Toy Story movies in the same time, um, sure. but they didn't. They made two of them, and they were. And in fact, the second one, to a lot of people, were was a better movie. I like them both about the same. Um, yeah. But you know, they didn't go to the well like at the time Disney was doing. Uh, at the time, Microsoft does. Uh, Apple has kind of followed suit. They don't go to the well. They change things up. Um, yeah. And I think that has a lot to do with why they're pulling out of the expo. They're not looking back. I think one of the things that a lot of people had questions of is if this is going to be the last Macworld Expo that Steve Jobs is involved in, why isn't Steve Jobs doing the keynote? Well, Steve Jobs has never been one for nostalgia. You never hear him get up on stage and and wax nostalgic about him and, and Waz starting up the company. Uh, they, he never spends much time on how innovative Apple was back in the day. He's always looking forward. He's always looking ahead. And I think that's why one of the reasons why that Steve Jobs isn't going to do this keynote. He's, he doesn't want to look back. He doesn't want to say, you know, goodbye. He just wants to move forward to the next big thing and, and just keep it going. Does anybody disagree? Well, I think one of the things that uh, has dramatically impacted their decision to pull out of Macworld in the keynote is if you stop and look at the install base of the retail portion of their company and you, and you stop and look at what they're doing there with retail, with commercial marketing, um, with having the ability to have a special event where press comes to them, 
um, you know, they, they have a machine developed in their, in their product development and in their marketing that um, pretty much any other company in this or any other country would uh, give their right hand for. And, and I think that has a lot to do with um, their – they don't really need Macro right now. But don't, don't think for a minute that if they ever wanted to take advantage of it again that uh, IDG, provided they're still around – um, would open them back, you know, bring them back with open arms, and and it wouldn't be an issue, you know. Bakari in our chat room is saying, uh, but MacWorld is all about moving forward. Um, it's not holding Apple back, is it? In a way, it is, Bakari, because what happens is every year on the calendar, Apple has to come out with a big announcement, and it has to happen at MacWorld. And if Apple doesn't come out with the next great big product announcement what happens everyone's oh wonder what's going on at apple you know they didn't have one more thing and and wow here goes the stank uh, the 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 stock stock it starts tanking and and while look at all the rumors and they were all wrong and why didn't apple do this product it was a a rumor and that's a lot of pressure pressure. the way it's going to go forward is you're going to hear that apple's going to have an event and it's going to be between two to three weeks out it's just enough time to get um, the press mobilized that they're going to be able to get their plane ticket and, and get to San Francisco to be at the event. Um, or wherever they have or it. Or wherever they're going to have yeah. it. But they're not this at this point, they're not going to be dependent on an outside organization like IDG to get everything lined up, and, and they have to be there at this time, um, on this date, year after year after year. I think this allows Apple to be much more mobile. They don't have they can to work on their time frame. They know? can work on their time. Exactly. They don't have to hold a product back just to show it for the first time at Macworld or the opposite. They don't have to rush a product so they can show it at Macworld. Apple works at Apple's own pace. And a lot of people think, think well, you know, yeah. it's been a long time since Apple came out with a, a, a big product and they keep, I, I hear that often and it's really, it's not. When you look at what Apple does year after year after year, and they've been doing these press conferences, not just at Macworld, but, and they've been doing that for a number of years now. Um, every year Apple has one or two big products that come out, whether it's software or hardware. And I think trying to fit whatever the big product announcements are going to be in the year right there at January, right when everyone's just kind of tired from Christmas right, shopping coming, and coming back to the, the New office. Year's party and, oh, now we got to find out what the big Apple announcement is. I don't think Apple likes the date. I don't think they like the time that they do it. And I don't think Apple likes to do it on somebody else's agenda. But, Steve uh, has never liked working by someone else's clock. He's absolutely. always liked to set his own agenda. Let's jump back and, up and, to the and uh, and just one final point on that. I mean, guys already mentioned it. You, you don't think they've learned a lot from what happened with Mobile Me this year? Oh, absolutely. That was a product that was rushed out, and it was a disaster for them. Yeah, and, uh, but then again, Apple did that choose that, that date. They chose well, that. That's, date. Well, that that's true, but I, they they chose it because of a whole load of other marketing pressures, and I suspect they really want to get away from that now. Yep. Another big story of the year, Apple launches Apple TV version 2.0. How big of a story do you think this is, Mark? Well, I think Apple Apple TV still seems to be an also-ran in their product line. Now, of course, this Macworld, some rumors have indicated that, that they're going to be doing a revision to it. But, uh, you know, it, it really, to me, it still feels, as Steve kind of described it when he first began to talk about as a hobby, a hobby. for Apple. Right. So I, I think it, it to me it's it's nothing compared to some of the other uh, items that you have on the list there. You know? Do you have uh, an Apple TV? I don't. You don't. And I've held off buying one because to me the Mac Mini is a better platform for that purpose. It's it's eminently more usable. 
Yeah, that's because I would you agree don't. With that too. Yeah, that's because you guys don't have a Mac Mini or a, um, an Apple TV. TV. Uh, when you, you have, have an Apple you have TV, you see the light. Yeah, you're, you you yeah. go bing. Oh my yeah. gosh, what have I been missing? Uh, and I'll give you an example of that. Just today, my daughter was asking to see, um, what is that video when the little chipmunk, not chipmunk, it's a hamster or something, turns around very dramatically and they put the music to it. Have you seen that video before? It's really no. funny. It's, it was one of those viral video things that went around the internet about, I don't know, eight months ago or so. And my uh, five-year-old daughter loves that video and she wanted to see it again. So I fired up the Apple TV. Actually, I didn't fire it up. It's always running. I never turn it off. Um, I, I turn on the Apple TV. I go to YouTube on there, and I type in dramatic hamster or whatever the heck it was. <laughs> there it is. I push the button, and she's watching it on the TV, and she wanted to watch it. I swear we watched that thing four or five times. And it, when it gets done playing a video, it shows, just like it does on YouTube, it shows related videos or videos by that user. And she saw another video picture there. It was a, a duck biting a dog's nose, a little baby duck. And she wanted to watch that. So I clicked that and it starts playing immediately. So the power of Apple TV isn't that the Mac mini can do more. It's, it's, it's a computer in your living room. That's really not the point. The point of the Mac mini is its simplicity and yet how much content you really have access to when it's hooked up and you're using it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's been my quandary. That's been my quandary between the two platforms because I've absolutely considered purchasing uh, one or the other, and I haven't been able to come down on one side or the other, which is what held me back. I've seen a lot of wonderful how tos to take a Mac Mini and make it into a media device, and then I've got you've got the Apple TV there, which is still hackable. So you know that there's no there's not a great differentiation there yet. So well, I could hack my Apple TV, but I don't, and I know yeah. David's in the same boat. Because it just works. It does what I want it to yeah. do. I've got literally 500 movies that are on it or streaming from my Mac. I don't want a mouse and a keyboard in my living room to control the Mac Mini. I don't want to start messing around with uh, display settings and all that crap. I just want to plug something in, watch a movie, browse YouTube if I want, check out the podcast, the video podcast, the audio podcast that are on the device. Uh, and I don't have to subscribe to any of it. It's just right there and it just streams right to my TV. Uh, it has all the TV shows that I want to watch on there. It just works very easily, very simply, and it, it, it's just it just works. I don't want so in the, your mind, I don't Tim, want that is it a significant issue. Is it a significant story then? I think it is because Apple TV really brought or Apple TV 2.0 really brought that device up to where it needed to be. It added features that um, I didn't think that was that important until I started using them. I would like I, more access to more video codecs so I don't have to convert video files all the time for it, but, you know. Yeah. I, 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 I completely agree with that, Tim. I, I think that um, in future years we'll look back on the launch of the Apple TV and everyone will go, I don't, I don't understand how we missed it. I think it's developing just the same way the original iPod did. When the first iPod came out, people went, why, why would we want one of these? Uh, you know, it's too expensive. Oh, it's too limited and all that sort of thing. And then, you know, two, three years down the line, it turned into a monster. And I think Apple TV is taking a bit longer, partly because of the movie studios and that sort of thing. 
And also I think Apple are very deliberately taking it slowly and not pushing it too fast because they want to take the same sort of control of the video on the, on the TV in the living room that they manage to get with music on the, on the MP3 player. Yeah. I think they're treading fairly carefully, but I think this is absolutely their strategy. And the Apple TV, as far as I'm concerned this year, is the, is the elephant in the room of, of Apple stories. It's the one that, that pe- most people have kind of gone, oh, meh, whatever. But it, you know, I think, uh, I agree with you, Tim. Once you have one, you realize what a great device it is and, and really uh, how powerful it is. Uh, Ryan, yeah, I'm paint- still waiting for the next one. Ron, or a.k.a. Paint Guy in the Ustream chat, which, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast on your iPhone or your iPod, uh, come ch- come join us on the Ustream chat. It's a lot of fun. Ustream.tv or just go to MyMac.com and you'll find it uh, whenever we're doing the podcast live, which is usually Thursdays, but next week will be Friday. Um, and join in the chat. It's a lot of fun. But Paint Guy says the 24-inch iMac, which, by the way, I'm recording this podcast on right now, so I know exactly what he means, is a great machine. His content is there, and he just watches it there, which is great if you're single or it's just you and your wife. But it gets a little difficult when you try to huddle your family around your computer and, and trying to watch a, an hour TV show on it. It doesn't really work, at least not yeah. for me. I, Apple I, TV. Oh, go ahead, David. I was going to say, I watch a lot of video podcasts, and I like nothing better than sit down on the couch and watch them rather than sit in front of my computer. Oh, and absolutely. And Apple TV lets me do that. Absolutely, and it just works so much better that way. Uh, it, that's where I want to watch my content. I don't want to watch it on the computer. Uh, if it's a quick video or something like that, maybe. Um, but if it if it's going to last more than 10, 15 minutes, I'd rather be sitting on the couch watching on a much larger, much better screen in my living room and enjoying the content with the rest of the family. Uh, that being said, I do need to take a break for one second, guys. We want to give a shout-out to our sponsors and fill you guys in on where we're going to be during the Macworld Expo. Obviously, this this podcast is sponsored by Otherworld Computing, you can check them out at MacSales.com. They great too, guys. great guys, great products. Uh, they're really starting to get into a lot more audio, and you're going to see this probably after the MacWorld Expo. Um, if you're looking for speakers or you're looking for professional microphones, anything from like fifty bucks to a thousand dollars, MacSales.com is going to be your hookup for that gear. I can't wait for them to officially launch the whole. Professional. A lot of it's already up there, but I talked to the guy at, at Otherworld Computing a couple weeks ago what about this. What do you this. know, Tim? It's what gonna do be you know? it's gonna be awesome. And I think if if you're an audiophile, if you're an audio buff like me, you're really really gonna dig MacSales.com in the coming year. It's gonna be great. I can't wait. And of course, the other one is Posimotion. If you're looking for cool software for your iPhone, not just cool but also useful, Posimotion is your hookup. If you go to posimotion.com or simply follow the link from my Mac podcast number 214, check out the, they got a lot of different software for the iPhone at this point and, uh, buy something. It starts at 99 cent. I, I really like a level. I keep playing with it. I keep trying to find out what's level and what's not in my house. And unfortunately, very few things are actually level. Have you put it on, have you put it on top of your head yet? Yeah, that's completely flat. That was kind of weird. I, I didn't see that coming. So. So thank you very much to Posimotion and MacSales.com. During the Macworld Expo, we've got two important dates. If you want to meet the MyMac crew, and more importantly, you want to get something for free at the Macworld Expo, we've got your hookup. On Wednesday, January 7th at 1.30, we're going to be at the Spec Products booth. We're going to be doing the Apple Quiz at their booth, and we're going to be giving away cases for your computer, for your iPhone, for your iPod. Bill, you're going to have to come over and... You're going to have to come over and check that out and play the Apple quiz with us, Bill. 
It's, yeah, it's I just want to win a. I want to win an iPhone case. I don't have any. You don't have any. I know you don't have yeah. enough of those, do you? Yeah. <laughs> and then the very next day, we're going to do the same thing, but with ProSoft Engineering. Um, you know, they're the makers of Drive Genius and a lot of other really cool stuff. We did it there all week long last year, uh, guy, and it was a lot of right. fun. And, yes, it was. You know, I actually posted the video up at the MyMac.com website from doing the Apple Quiz last year. And oh, which, I, what, which day was it, do you know? Uh, to be honest, I don't remember. I think it was the second day that we were there. But I was watching it, and it was so nostalgic, and it was less than a year ago, and it was so much fun, and I can't wait to do it again. The people at ProSoft are, are great people. We really appreciate them sponsoring us to come out and, and do the show. And it's going to be a whole lot of fun. But spec products on Wednesday, one thirty. ProSoft Engineering on Thursday. So those are the two places you can meet us. But, Mark, there's one more place. If they get to the expo and they get to San Francisco early, there's one more place that they can meet us in person where they know for a fact where we're going to be. Well, anybody who is in the area and they're coming to Macworld, you need to be there on Monday at 3 p.m. in front of Moscow and South, in front of those doors. You'll be able to meet all of the MyMac staff that's there. You'll be able to meet other MyMac listeners who come and attend. And let me tell you, last year, it was my first time attending. It was a blast. We had such an awesome time just meeting. We're, just like you hear us on the podcast. We just sit around no and different. talk about we just, Apple. Yeah, we speculate yeah, what we're going to see the next day. And, exactly. You know, it's, exactly. it's a lot of fun. We compare stuff on our iPhones. We talk about the software that we're really in love with and what we're hoping we're going to see. It's such a great time. Everybody... Except David Cohen because he's not coming this year. Uh, everybody that's on the we'll podcast you, right now will be there because Bill Palmer has promised me a blood oath that he's going to be there. So you know, right. you know what's weird though is at the real life <laughs> meetup, there's there's occasional static uh, Skype delays in our conversations too. It's really yeah, weird. that's really really weird. It's almost like it's almost like we're it's almost like we're AM radio broadcasters going through a tunnel. I want to reach over and poke guy in the head like you a hologram. <laughs> yeah, I forget who was it. We had somebody on the show that was uh, their developer. Oh, it was the podcaster guy. And he said, uh, I asked him a question, and he was silent for a minute. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm so, listening to, so used to listening to you guys in the car that it's weird that I can actually participate in the chat right now. <laughs> and it will be just like that and, uh, yeah. on January 5th, 3 o'clock, Moscone South. Uh, the more the merrier. Obviously, I, I kind of hope that a thousand people don't show up, and I don't think that's going to happen. Um, no. And I actually uh, hope sure. that you know fifty people don't show up because when you get that many people, it kind of gets a little crazy. Although it'll be a lot of fun, don't get me I, wrong. But I kind of yeah. like it when it's not just a ton of people. Um, and, and it's definitely if you listen to the podcast, so when you're going to be there, you know, come hang out. Nothing else is going on in San Francisco at three o'clock in the afternoon. You know, come meet the MyMac guys, Moscone South, 3 o'clock, January 5th. Uh, let's jump back into our top stories of 2008 because we're starting to get a little long in the tooth. We're almost at an hour on the podcast. The next one is Apple answers the 12-inch PowerBook with a MacBook Air. Or was that an answer to the 12-inch PowerBook? I don't know. What do you think, David Cohen? I think it was their attempt to bring the 12-inch PowerBook up to date. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, that was that was last year at the MacWorld Expo, and I remember yeah. sitting there uh, because we didn't have access to the keynote. Um, uh, we do a little bit this year. Two of us will be in the keynote, but the rest of the MyMac crew won't be, unfortunately. But we weren't in the hall, but we were following it just like everybody else when we saw the uh, announcement. 
And as soon as the doors opened, most of us went over and took a look at the at the device, saw it, saw how thin it was, how light it was. Um, and I don't know. I just wasn't that impressed with the MacBook Air. Uh, what about you, Guy? No, I'm, I'm still not really that impressed with it. Seems yeah, like it, a lot it, of it, money for a lot less machine, both, well, both right. physically yeah. and what you get. Well, I mean, let, let, think about this. Now, the 12-inch PowerBook was the smaller version of the G4 PowerBook, which was Apple's you know main machine for professionals, whereas the MacBook Air is actually not even as powerful as the uh, the MacBook. No, it's not. But it's a whole lot thinner, Guy, and I think that was the point. It's it's so thin. It's so light. Um, yeah, but a, lot I'm of, not... a lot of people who have them, and, yep. and the people who have them really love them. Yep. Um, but I think they only fit a certain segment of the market. I think the problem for the MacBook Air is that if you look at the rise of these little PC netbooks for right. you know less less than five hundred dollars, the MacBook Air be, against those machines looks increasingly less re- relevant because it's not much more powerful um, and it's much much more expensive. Do you think, that, Bill? Do you, do, Bill, do you think that Apple missed the mark with the MacBook Air? Do you think they should have went with a netbook type of thing? No, you know, I don't think they care. I, I think the MacBook Air, to me, the, the device is fine. They put it out because they know enough people will buy it to make it worth carrying on inventory. But I think the exciting part is is that's the future there. It, they've shown us the tiny little components that make a laptop half an inch thick, the, the solid-state hard drive, the uh, the lack of an optical drive. That's the future. When they can translate that stuff into a MacBook or a MacBook Pro – I mean, they're all going to be as thin as the air is now. And I think that's just some kind of prototype they had sitting around, and they said, you know, I wish, you know, a couple of years from now the technology be invented that we can make our main MacBook this thin. They said, well, why not put it out now and make a few sales and get some people excited? So that's what excites me. I don't think it's really meant to be more than a niche. I don't think they have that expectation. That's why they charge so darn much. They want to make sure they make a bunch from the few they do sell. But I, I think that's that's the future of, of laptops is, is, is sort of in yeah. that machine right let, now. Let me kind of – give a little input uh, means that I'm the only one in our group that actually has a MacBook Air and I actually have the second generation MacBook Air and it, it, it's interesting one of the things that uh, they did in designing the MacBook Air and again it, don't, it has the core 2 uh, 1.8 processors but it also has a fast SSD drive and it has just like the new MacBook Pro it has the six megabytes of cache as opposed to the three that the MacBook has, and I and I run Adobe, I run iMovie, I run Final Cut Studio, I run some heavy programs on this little thing, and I'm going to tell you guys something, you know. And I've I've used all the units. It is not behind. It, it is faster than the MacBook, but not the Pro. And it is it's a powerful little unit. But I'll tell you where it really shines for me. Last year, I lugged my stupid MacBook Pro. And the and the power adapter around with me that whole time and about broke my back. And this thing is so light and my backpack is so light with it and the adapter in it that it really it really is for me. It's it's a little bit on the higher price range. Now with the one twenty eight SSD that's in it now, you and the same price you, you can you know, they're expensive. So that te- you're paying for the technology. But the lightweight uh, aspect of it along with the performance that it does have, I don't need the C D ROM. I don't need anything that it doesn't have already in, and I'm I am really impressed with what the machine can do, and I think it can only get cheaper. So, 
you know, yeah, the netbook is a really interesting subject, and I think Apple may address that. We'll see what happens. I like as an article that will be coming out uh, on my Mac. I really like the iPhone for the for the netbook uh, type capabilities, and I'm using it primarily. But the MacBook Air is a fine product, and it and it really it, it really is something that I think will grow in popularity and will begin to migrate down more into some of the other aspects. I, I got a question for you, Mark. When we're in San Francisco, can I touch your MacBook Air? <laughs> yes, but you got to buy me dinner. You got to buy me Only dinner. With first. Yeah, gotta, I got to buy you dinner afterwards, right? Yeah. Uh, another big story, and I think that this one is uh, definitely within the top five easily, maybe the top three. Apple updates the iPhone to the 3G and becomes a major force in the mobile phone manufacturers. Uh, the 3G has already sold more than the original Mac or uh, iPhone. And it's been on sale less for a less amount of time. And it's a huge seller. And if you look at the market share, Apple is approaching rim. This is a big, big story. And, of course, it ties into our other big story that we already talked about, the App Store and all that. But it really seems to me that this is a whole new computing platform that didn't exist two years ago that um, sitting in 2006, December – when we're looking forward to uh, the Macworld Expo guy, I couldn't imagine that what we're about to see would change things so much. Could you? No, no. I, I was when when he came out and started. You know, I, I don't even remember what it was now, but it was like three different machines that he said Apple's going to come out with this machine and this machine and this machine, and then of course he was actually talking about the iPhone, where it was going to replace all of those things with a single device. Yeah, it, it was an amazing keynote, and it's been an amazing ride for the last two years seeing where the iPhone is going. And I, I, I honestly, I can't. So bad. You, you'll get one, don't worry. At least get an iPod Touch. Uh, around the same time, exactly the same time, actually, that the 3G launched, Apple launched Mobile Me. Now, this isn't a positive story for Apple because Everything that could possibly have gone wrong with mobile mobile me launch went wrong. Uh, did that affect anybody here? Did that affect you, Bill? Yeah, I've been relying on a Mac.com email address for you know almost a decade now. That's what I use professionally because it's always been more stable than anything. I so, could so what did this do to you for that two weeks? That it was just almost completely inaccessible. Um, I would sit there and worry that I lost an email every time I sent an email and I didn't hear back. I'd send another one three days later saying, did you get the last one? I'm just double checking because my Mac service has gone to crap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we talked about last week's show that my mobile me subscription is coming due. And I have to be honest, I'm leaning towards not renewing it. It's just, that's a hundred dollars a year. And because of the mobile me launch fiasco, Apple basically gave us all two free months. Otherwise, it would have expired for me in October. And I think most people's actually comes due in October because that's when they launched it and everybody jumped on at that point. Um, I, I I just don't see myself renewing it. I don't use the email feature. I mean, I've got it, but I get maybe two emails a week at, at the, the mobile me stuff, and then it's usually either from spam. Apple or it's spam, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just think this this was probably one of the biggest botches in, in Apple history. As far as launching a product, I mean, it was it was atrocious, and I don't know. Do, do you think that it kind of uh, dulled Apple shine a little bit, David? I I think they took they took some heat for it. Um, I think well, once they once so. there is 
Yeah, but absolutely. I, I, I think a lot of people, once they, once the problems were mostly resolved, um, kind of moved on from it, really. I mean, it's worth, worth pointing out, actually, that 10.5.6, which was just released this week, still has bug fixes and, and improvements to try with the syncing to mobile me, so it's still not 100% right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I, I, I suspect, you know, there's many people who think like us, you know, then they're going to think long and hard about, about renewing it. Another big uh, story was Apple suffers all time highs and desperate lows in their stock price. I mean, they're at one point, what, like a hundred and I don't even know what it went a little up to. They, they, they were they up a little over $200. Yeah, it was about $202, $203 they peaked at before they dropped down. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's a big story, but it's really nothing that we talk about much on this podcast. I'm not an investor in Apple uh, because I cover that industry, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put my uh, my money into that. <laughs> well, regardless of where the stock price goes, Apple's doing just fine. Here's um, something that a lot of people forget. They had a fire at Apple Computer. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. That that was. A, I think that was kind of a big story. Does anybody disagree? Yeah. Uh, I, it, it will, I think it. I think it'll be. It'll be a big story when we um, somebody writes the book and tells us exactly what they lost that day. Yeah, yeah. I think probably, at this point we don't know. Yeah. Uh, another big story was random and inconsistent app rejections from the App Store. And pull my finger, the farting game, and you know that kind of stuff. Uh, the podcaster was rejected. That was a big story for a couple months. That Apple was rejecting arbitrarily, it seemed to outsiders, uh, perfectly legitimate applications for the App Store. Now, obviously, with Podcaster, Apple had an update coming that would allow you to do the, exactly the same thing. Even though I still don't agree that um, th- that that should have been a reason to to reject it. Uh, but now the fart, the pull my finger, that's coming back to the App Store if it's not already up there. I mean, I don't understand why Apple well, is rejecting God. a lot of this. I, <laughs> no, really, guy. I think when you when you when you get right down to it, who is Apple to say that this is not a legitimate app? I mean, I've got a five year old who will love this application, love it. Daddy, daddy, make your iPhone fart uh, all the time. <laughs> But see, it's because Phil Schiller's going to be announcing "Pull My Eye Finger" during. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually the that's keynote. He, Apple, that's Apple the whole keynote. He gets the up there and goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'll be the sound effect of Bill Gates farting. Remember, Apple didn't have to open this to anybody. No, they could have kept the iPhone closed. It would have been a mistake, but they could have. I don't really have a problem with saying we're going to open it to everybody, but these five core apps. Uh, Podcast downloads, email, web browser. We're going to keep these to ourselves. You can develop anything else you want. Now, they should have come out and said that if that was the case. But I have no problem with the rejecting podcaster. Uh, Four more things to go, and then we're going to wrap up the show, guys. One of the biggest PC games of the year, Spore, was released on day one on the Macintosh and the PC. This was a a big-selling title, and EA released it on the same day for the Mac and the PC. I think that was very significant. Do you agree, Mark? <laughs> well, name I definitely there. think that it was uh, a significant and that it, it had a lot of coverage. Um, of course, coming back to it now, it seems as though with some of the reviews that there, it's been somewhat lackluster um, in, in terms of its uh, acceptance beyond the initial response and reaction. But uh, this, this multi-level marketing that... Uh, that many companies are using now is definitely working and it's flooding these types of products out in the marketplace. I'm, I'm just wondering if you can ever get to a place where it's oversaturated. 
I don't know, but the Macs have never been a predominantly gaming machine. Yeah. And the stuff saying, that we usually... Way too many Mac games. Right. Now, now, Guy, you probably buy more Mac games than I do. Most of the games that I buy are on, you know, the Wii, PS3, or the 360. Um, right. I don't, I don't do my gaming on the Mac. But that being said, the games that come out for the Mac are like two years or a, at least a year behind the consoles and the PC stuff. Uh, it's like, right. oh, here's a big, you know, Tomb Raider's coming to the Mac. Well, great. That would have been great, you know, two years ago when there was a lot of marketing behind the product and people yeah. wanted to play it. But at this point, who cares? But here's Spore, the the most anticipated game of the year outside of Grand Theft Auto 4. Uh, the most anticipated game of the entire year. It's got hype for the last two years. Uh, yeah. We even did a segment last year at the Macworld Expo with EA talking to them about Spore. So this was highly anticipated, and it came out the same day on the Mac and the PC. I just, I really, I, I want that to be a trend that continues. Well, there's no reason why it couldn't, since you know both Macs and and Windows computers are on the same you know architecture now. There's, you know, I mean, I guess the with uh, what's what's the name of that of that software that they use? Cider. Cider. Yeah, cider. cider. With, with cider around now, it, it really takes a lot less time to port it over to OS X, and there's really no reason why they can't come out with them both at the same time for for not really a whole lot more, much more money. Now, Bill, do I you think? think that, I think. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I would just say. I, I would just add to that guy. Um, while I think cider is important because it allows them to do that, what I'm keen to see as the Mac games market share is native game development, yes. parallel game development for the for the Mac. Because the problem with Cider is, you know, there's a there's a performance overhead there. And when you if you want the highest performing games, the three D shooters and that sort of thing, um, it's just not really good enough. Um, if you run if you run a boot camp and run a game under XP in, in, in Windows on a Mac, you'll you'll see the performance huge difference. difference. Absolutely. Now, so uh, you know, Bill, do you think that with what's going on with Apple and games as far as the iPhone iPod Touch is concerned. I mean, we're seeing advertisements from Apple about video games. Granted, it's on the iPhone, the iPod Touch, but they they're really making a huge push into the gaming market. Do you think that's going to lead them credibility in the Mac market for games? Well, it could. Now, also the other trend is remember a lot of people switching over are people who are used to playing games on their computer. They switch over to the Mac. That's new people on the Mac that are expecting games, so I think there's a market there now. Funny thing is, a lot of people said uh, Mac on Intel would kill Mac gaming because they'd expect you to install Windows and run the PC version. Well, it seems to be going the opposite way now. Now here's a uh, here's uh, you know uh, the Mac version on day one. So cause those fears were unfounded, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another big story. Uh, I'm going to put these in reverse order here, David. So I'm going to mess with your list. Microsoft finally responds to get a Mac ad campaign. And it's horrible. At first, it seems kind of promising with the Jerry Seinfeld, Bill Gates. No one knew quite what the hell they were about, but it seemed like there was going to be some kind of a payoff. I enjoyed them. I thought it was the best commercials that Microsoft had in years. And they they just pull it. They they stopped making them for whatever internal reasons that they had. Um, These were the first ads that Microsoft's had in many, many, many years that got them a lot of notoriety online, both good and bad, but there's no such thing as bad ads. Um, if people are talking about your product, that's a good thing. But they pull it. And what do they replace it with? Uh, I'm a PC, which is laughed at by most people. It, it comes across as, stop picking on me, Apple. I'm, stop picking <laughs> on me. Exactly. Um, I, I think that this is a significant story. Anybody disagree? 
No, I wouldn't disagree. No, well, I think adding to that, you know, then then they followed up the I'm a PC with, you know, the the whole Mojave experience. Well, actually, that came out before. Uh, that came before. That was that was, was just awful. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that, and, and you know, you combine those two elements, and it just—they're really dropping the ball. I'm yeah. a PC, and look, Vista's not as bad as you think it is. Really, <laughs> that's 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 your ad campaign. It's not as bad as you think. Really? No, really. Vista Vista doesn't suck as much as anyone says it does. I, uh, could you imagine Trust the car me. industry doing this if Honda came out with a commercial saying our cars are not as bad? Uh, here, I drove this car. It was a Honda. Oh my goodness! I had no idea that they were this. That's not as bad as I thought. You're not going to see those commercials. Isn't that exactly the same approach that the U.S. car industry takes when competing against Japanese cars? It's like you know, here's Pretty a much. car, and yeah, it's 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 okay. It's adequate. Yeah, I think, I think that is part of Microsoft's problem. They've got a a corporate culture that uh, you know it comes out in their software, it comes out in their marketing. It's you know, it's let's do enough. something that's gener- generic, middle of the road, and done by committee. Yeah. Because we want to please Jobs, the most Microsoft's amount of people. Problem is that, sorry. Go, no, go ahead. As I said, to quote Steve Jobs, Microsoft's problem is that they have no taste. He said that like 15 years ago. I think this proves it. Yeah, I think that that's. I think that's been Microsoft's problem problem from day one. I mean, they they don't have any taste. Uh, last two stories. I'm going to combine them into one because they're exactly the same story, uh, but it's two separate products. CS4 is released. And Microsoft Office 2008 is released to very little fanfare and not huge sales. I think this is probably within the top five. These are two applications that are mainstays on the Mac and the PC. Uh, Creative Suite 4 from Adobe comes out. New Photoshop, new Illustrator, new this, new that. And it doesn't sell well. well, and, And not to put too much of a negative spin on it, but we had a guy from Adobe talking about it and, you know, he was talking about some of the new features of Photoshop and it looks amazing. It does look amazing. The the problem is, is it, is it really $1,000 to $2,000 worth of amazing when CS3 came out just not that long ago? Do you think that the Adobe's problem with selling CS4 has more to do with they didn't market it correctly? Because I've got the master suite of CS4 and I got to say some of the programs in there are amazing. It's really great to see, uh, then come out with Premiere for the Mac again. Uh, the yeah. update to After Effects looks very impressive, even though I haven't dug into it a whole lot. Um, I'm having some problems with Illustrator 4, um, and I'm actually in talks with, because I'm doing the, the full review of uh, Illustrator CS4, and uh, I'm having some major problems, some deal breakers for me. And Adobe's working very close with me to, to resolve these issues. But do you think that it's more of a marketing foo on their part? And, and I'll give you an example. When we usually want someone to come on our show, um, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. What the heck? When we want a company to come on our show, I send them an email. And I say, hey, we'd really like to have you on the show. Um, are you interested? And they almost always reply with, absolutely, uh, when and where and how and you know that sort of thing. Unless they've been on the show before and they already know that we use Skype and you have to have a decent mic and you need to wear headphones and that sort of thing. Um, I actually got an email and two follow-up phone calls this week from Adobe wanting to come back on our show. And what that kind of told me is that they're having a hard time selling CS4. And the last time they were on the show, uh, they felt that, that it was very positive for them. They got the word out and they want to continue doing that. And and it's, let's be honest, it's a cheap way for them to do it. Well, I should say sure. inexpensive. 
And I said, sure, well, we, you know, I'd be happy to have a, you know, Adobe back on that and talk more about the rest of the CS4 products instead of just Photoshop like we focused on last time. And we're going to do that towards the end of January of 2009. We're going to have Adobe back because they make software that I need and that I like and, for the and most it's, part. And, it, and it's good software. You most know, I mean, of it. We're not, we're not saying that, 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 that CS4 is a bomb product. We're just, you know, it's just it does have some issues. And when you talk about how much something like this costs, most people can't afford it. And, you know, Mark, they just came out with CS3 18 months ago. Well, yeah, I think that's a great point. And uh, one of our uh, chat room listeners, watchers, um, Gamas, G-A-Z-M-A-Z, he, he, yeah, he sums it up properly. It's too soon, too expensive. Yeah. And I think and, that's probably where the problem is. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it is the Porsche software. You know, it's very high performance. It's very, very capable, but not everyone can afford a Porsche, particularly if they bought one 18 months ago. Yeah. I, I think that if this would have came out at the very end of 2010 or I'm sorry, 2009, uh, I think it would have probably sold a lot better. Back. That would have been two and a half years Back. since the launch. And I think that's what they need. I think it was just too close to CS3. Um, and you and know that, what they need? To, yeah, now they need to cut the price. I mean, you know, we're heading into this recession. People don't have disp- a lot of disposable income, and they need to do something. Otherwise, they're going to tank big style. Now, what do you think about Office 2008? And I have to say that this is the first Office, going all the way back to Word 95, that I basically told the MyMac staff, the writers out there, do not send me submissions in Office 2008. Do not use Word to send me submissions. I never said that before until this year with Office 2008. And the reason I did that is because the freaking application takes so darn long to open. Uh, it's buggy. It's still buggy even a year after its release. Remember, it released right around this time last year. They had the big coming out party at the Macworld Expo. Right. Yeah. Um, I- I'm not happy with the performance or, and what Office 2008 is doing for me. I've got it installed on both my machines, and I've actually got a third copy um, that I haven't even taken out of the box to like put it on my wife's uh, MacBook or anything because I just don't think it's good software. I think that they really missed the boat. And this was four years in development. you got to remember, the last time Office came out was 2004. Right. That's four years. So you can't blame what's going on with, with Adobe too close. CS3, CS4 was too close together. You can't say that with Office. So why is Office, at least as far as what I'm hearing from the listeners of this show, people writing in after I wrote my article uh, a week ago, that completely agree with me that they're not happy with Office? Why do you think that is, David? I, I think the development was really painful. Um, they didn't cope well with the, the transition to Intel, so there's a rewrite a lot of code. I think the team has not been well managed. They've been blogging, and and you've seen some of the changes in the Microsoft uh, business unit over the last uh, couple of years. And um, I just think it's it's you know again like going back to like I was saying before, it's just it's just poor management of their development process. And for a company the size of Microsoft, it's um, it's just not good enough, frankly. Plus, the software is also very expensive. You know, no, and no. if it's if yeah, it's, it's expensive and it's rubbish, then that's a real problem. Right now, Bill, you're a writer. I mean, you produce a magazine. Uh, uh, Microsoft Office, in a particular Word, is supposedly made for you. You're a writer. You want to use Word to write your content. Do you use Word to write your content? 
Uh, no, I've never understood why a word processor, which should be the simplest and easiest piece of software on your computer, period, is like the most expensive consumer-level software and also so complicated you have to take a class to learn how to use it. Maybe people are finally waking up on the Mac and saying, you know, all my software is easy to use and pretty cheap, except for my word processor, which is a nightmare and costs like nine bazillion dollars. And so maybe we're just getting to the point where Mac is saying, I don't need this anymore. I don't let my writer send stuff in Word either, and I have it. I have the 04, you know. I, I could have walked over and gotten 08 for free in Macworld and want to walk the 10 feet. <laughs> that was a long I, 10 you know, feet. Like, oh, my that, feet are tired. That's harsh. <laughs> now, Mark, do you think that if Microsoft announced tomorrow that this is the last version, and we know it's not because uh, I personally heard from Microsoft and there's a new version of Office coming out that they're going to – put stuff back in that they took out in this version to make it more compatible, at least as a workflow uh, into office 2007 on the PC side. Do you think if Microsoft did come out today and said, we're not going to make office for the Mac anymore, do you think that that would hurt Mac sales at all? No, I, I don't think that, I think it's an afterthought for most people at this stage because there's, they're either utilizing an earlier product that works well for them or as we're looking in the chat room. And I think this is a very valid point. This this kind of dropping of the ball really brings other things like iWork and OpenOffice and a lot of the cloud computing uh, word processing capabilities that a lot of people use. You know, I 2008 has never really been an issue for me. I mean, I, I have a lot of other things that I can use, and I'm quite honestly doing and utilizing a lot of the uh, applications, Google Docs, OpenOffice uh, online. I find them to be very useful, and they're always on whatever computer I happen to be using. Well, that's a good point to uh, to make, and I think that's a good stopping point for the top stories of 2008. If we missed any and you want to let us know about it, simply send an email to tim at mymac.com. Let us know what big stories that we missed that we should have mentioned, and we'll mention on the next podcast. Next week's show, we're going to be broadcasting on Friday, because next Thursday is a week from today is Christmas. Christmas. And so uh, I don't think my wife would really like to have to take the kids out of here on Christmas night and uh, let <laughs> me do a podcast. I have no Where clue. Nothing would be open. And, and <laughs> I really don't want to sleep on the couch. So uh, next week's podcast uh, is on Friday, as is the one after that, because the week after that, it would be New Year's Day. And we're not going to do the podcast on New Year's Day. Uh, I'm going to be bloated from all the eating and all the college football ball games that I'm going to be watching, just like Bill Palmer. And uh, so uh, next two Fridays is going to be uh, the podcast, and then we're going to be returning on January 1st on a Thursday. And that'll be the last podcast before Guy Searle shows up at my house and uh, we jump on an airplane. And, and Guy, I think we ought to right. do some podcasting on the road to the airport, maybe even on the aircraft when we first get to San Francisco, kind of a whole journey thing. Be, well, there's no there's no reason why we can't. As, as a matter of fact, oh, next Friday, by the way, um, no Taekwondo class, so I'll be able to do the podcast. Woohoo! Cool. Woohoo! So, Bill, and go ahead. The Friday, I'm sorry. The Friday after that is the day that I'm leaving here in Virginia to kind of start winding my way toward toward you. No, no, that so, would be the. But we're doing it on a yeah, yeah. You won't be on that show. Okay, cool. Right. Gotcha. That's 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 January the second. Right. So okay. I don't know. I I don't know if if I will be in a situation where I could participate in the podcast. Then we can figure that out. Yeah. Um. Wouldn't be a bad idea maybe to do something the night before if if I make it over if I make it to your house by Saturday. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, yeah. Bill Palmer, you just released a new issue of iProg Magazine. Who's on the cover and what's the content this week? 
Uh, All American Rejects are on the cover. Ah, the new good album band. came out. Cool. Yeah, it's like number one on the alt rock yeah. charts. You know, so that's that's pretty cool. And there's uh, three or four other musicians, some podcasters in there, and uh, some iPhone stuff. And uh, there's also an interview with uh, the guy that runs Macworld Expo. We were talking about him. Unfortunately, I did the interview before the big announcement. Yeah, go figure, but, right? Uh, yeah, that's when you kick yourself and go, "Don't you talk? You talking about Paul Camp? Yeah." That's that's kind of like doing an interview with Barack Obama the day before he's elected. <laughs> well, uh, I was I was just listening to uh, I was just listening to MacBreak Weekly before, and they had him on. And about an hour after they finished recording, uh, Apple launched their press release. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I heard that that's too. Of luck. That's, I think they released the, the magazine issue that day too. Yeah, like, yeah. That. Everybody got messed up by that. Somebody asked that's me if this- we were going to have Paul Kent on this year because we've had him on the last two years before the expo, and I was like. And, and Bill and I actually talked about this. I was like, you know what? He he has an agenda, and he wants to talk about what's coming up at the Expo and all that. I can do that without Paul Kent, and I really don't need the PR uh, on the show just talking about that. So we just decided not to have him on this year. I like Paul. Don't get me wrong. And uh, yeah, I respect, he's a nice guy. And I love the Expo and all that. And But we're promoting it. We don't need IDG on here to do so. Uh, we've been promoting the hell out of it on this podcast. Uh, every, let me, uh, David, you're on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? So if anybody listening can follow you on Twitter. Uh, what is my Twitter handle? Do I know what my Twitter handle <laughs> I is? I don't know. No idea. <laughs> it's David B. Cohen altogether. So D-A-V-I-D-B-C-O-H-E-N. Bill, what's yours? Uh, Twitter.com slash Bill Palmer. I also want to say you made that wisecrack about be, me being bloated on New Year's Day. <laughs> For the record, I'm bloated right now. Yeah, me just too. Just point that out. So. <laughs> uh, you're on Twitter, guy. Yeah, Mac Parrott. And uh, I talked to you a little bit about this on the phone last night, Mark. You're, you you signed up for Twitter, but you really don't use it. Yeah, it's been like such a long time, so I would have to go back and even see what my Twitter name is. But maybe I'll fire that baby back up and let you guys know. Uh, I am uh, twitter.com slash mymac, so a very easy one to remember. Uh, follow us all on Twitter. I, I just came up with it, drop of the hat. Oh, wow, that's, um, that's good. That's so follow us on Twitter, and uh, let's have conversations. It's, it's always fun. One last thing that I want to ask our listeners to do, if they could possibly do this, I would really appreciate it. If you go up to MyMac.com, uh, you'll see on the right-hand side, and with all the ads, the third one down is says MyMac Podcast, and it's a direct link to the iTunes store. Or if you have your iTunes open, just click our podcast and go to our iTunes listing. And give us a rating, whether it's a good rating or a bad rating, but just rate us. I'm trying to uh, boost our listenership, and I know that the more ratings you have, the higher you start climbing because people see that a lot of ratings for a show. So if you guys can go onto iTunes and rate our show, I would really, really, really appreciate it. So yeah, do, do an I-rate. Do an I-rate. <laughs> so we're approaching the hour and a half mark, and we never took one break on the entire show, so we're going to wrap it up now. Appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate uh, John Nemo, who uh, was on the show earlier. Thanks a lot for coming on, John. And we definitely want to have you back on, not just during the Macworld Expo, but uh, during the, the regular show as well. Guy, it's always a pleasure. Yes. Oh, and, yeah. And I'll, I'll get to see you in person real soon. Yeah, with my short hair. Uh, David Cohen, thanks, man. Appreciate you coming on. Always a pleasure. We'll see you uh, next week as well. Mark Rudd. Yeah. Uh, new at my Mac and, and starting to become kind of a, a, a mainstay here on the podcast. You used to do another podcast, right? 
used to work a lot in uh, video and in podcasting. It's just uh, haven't been doing it for a while, so really glad to be back here. Let me just say to uh, Tim and all the guys and everybody listening, happy holiday. You'll have a safe time and a, and a wonderful new year. Yeah, and to you as well. And Bill Palmer, thanks very much. Uh, I know this, you know, the, the Mac gig isn't your gig. You're the you're the iPron guy. <laughs> but we really respect your opinion and really appreciate it when you come on the show. You need to you need to fire up your podcast again here soon. I know, I know. It's coming back in 2009. I'm just not going to say what part of 2009. And I'm still bloated. Thanks for checking in. <laughs> we should do a, a three-hour podcast and just split it in half. One will be my Mac, and then the other part will redo an intro and will be the iProng Magazine podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Move to opposite sides of the table. And That's right. Okay, everybody shuffle around now. We'll, we'll, we'll all, use all of different us, names. All of us with wives will have to find lawyers at that point. You're not kidding. You're not kidding. So uh, for those guys and John and Sam who's not here, we want to follow suit with Mark and wish everyone a happy holiday. Stay safe. Keep using those Macs, iPods, iPhones, and uh, keep visiting MyMac.com. Thanks for downloading and listening to the MyMac.com podcast.